Hello, I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. My guest today is an entrepreneur with a love of luxury and the brand to match. Whitney Bromberg Hawkins is the founder of Flowerbox, the online flower delivery service which sources the freshest flowers direct from growers and delivers them to your front door. Born in Dallas, Texas, Whitney went on to enjoy almost 20 years working with one of the state's homegrown heroes, Tom Ford. And that's where the seeds were planted for her own venture launched in 2015. Five years on and customers read like a who's who, which prompted the New York Times to describe the business as the go-to florist in Europe for the fashion set. Well, it was Audrey Hepburn who once said that to plant a garden is to believe in tomorrow. And to discuss flowers, her firm, and the future, Whitney, welcome to Changemakers. Oh, it's so great to be here. And I love that quote. I've never heard that before, but that is beautiful. Yes. It's a beauty, isn't it? Especially for right now. It's so relevant. And of course, she was a great style icon as well, Audrey Hepburn. And sort of, um, I felt very, very pertinent for a business that is not only a flower disruptor, but one that sees clients, including Dior, Jimmy Choo, The River Cafe, Louis Vuitton. Tell us a little bit about this extraordinary business that you've created. Oh, gosh, thank you. That's so nice to hear you say that because it does these days feel like I'm pushing a boulder up the hill every morning when I wake up and then it's sort of flattening me throughout the day. But yeah, so I started Flowerbox um, almost five years ago after realizing that I was buying everything in my life online. At that point, I was a working mom of two, almost three children. And I found that I was buying, you know, my groceries from Farm Drop and I was buying my clothes on Net-A-Porter and I was buying my beauty online. But when I was having friends over for a dinner party or just I wanted flowers in my house, I didn't want to go to a florist and spend three or four times too much money on a bouquet. So I found myself going to the Covent Garden flower market at that point in stilettos and a pencil skirt because I had to be Tom Ready um, for Tom Ford at nine o'clock in the morning. So I was like, how come I can't do this online? And it was really that simple solution to like just a basic thing that started this entire idea. Um, And then I realized that, you know, everything from clothes to razors to, you know, wine has been branded internationally, globally. Um, But flowers were one thing that just lacked consistency in a different market. If you were sending flowers by Interflora, you pretty much knew they were going to be terrible. Um, So I was like, what if we created a global solution that you knew it was going to be beautiful? You knew it was going to have the same consistent gift wrap, the same, you know, ribbon, the same note card, the same beautiful experience that you expect from a luxury good. Um, So from that, Flowerbox was born. I mean, you often... It often seems obvious in in hindsight in terms of, well, here was a service that needed this kind of treatment. Why why do you think nobody got hold of it in quite the same way before? And you you mentioned Interflora there. I mean, in terms of that, that kind of, I guess, you being the disruptor, why do you think you found the gap that nobody else did? I think because it's really tough. (laughs) I mean, every day when I realize how hard it is, I'm like, oh, no wonder no one's done this before. (laughs) Um, It's very, first of all, you're working with a perishable product. So I think had I understood the inherent challenges of working with a perishable good, that might have dissuaded me a little bit. Um, But as you say, floristry really strangely is an industry that is the way it is because it's been that way forever and no one's ever disrupted it. What they've done, I think, is offer the traditional florist model online. But we've what we've done is we offer a completely different product. We offer really a new way of consuming a product. So our products are cut to order, which I think 
is it's a challenge of course but that allows us to get you flowers that are days fresher than any other florist and then we also have zero waste so that's a very beautiful sort of sustainable aspect to what we do um and it also means crucially that you get flowers that last four or five days longer and they aren't they don't cost as much so we're offering real value to sort of a luxury experience so i'm very proud of the value side of what we're doing I mean, of course, it's a luxury to have flowers in your home and it's a luxury to send beautiful flowers to a friend or a loved one. But if you know you're sending value and quality, for me, those are like really core like principles of what we're doing. And, and, and how has coronavirus affected that emotion of, of giving and receiving gifts like that, do you think? Well, gosh, there was a moment in March, you know, when the world was falling apart Um where I really, I, I was like, are we, is this it? You know what I mean? We weren't that well insulated financially. I mean, we could have weathered a few months, but not, you know, a year of it. And, but what I didn't anticipate was that the need to stay connected, the need to sort of bridge that distance between people would be really something for which flowers were a solution. So really almost immediately our sales went parabolic. Um, you know, we were at like, we're still at sort of, I just looked now before I, I uh, before this recording and we were at 700% on last year's sales. So I think the fact that people are missing so many occasions, you're not- There's a lot of retailers that would like that. I know it's in, it's it's lucky because we were digitally native in the first place. You know, I think a lot of companies have tried to pivot to digital, but when you look how long it's taken us to build this robust digital platform, it's not something you can do overnight. So we're luckily, you know, and I think the fact that people are, you know, have been stuck in their homes, we're about to enter a fall and a winter and a Christmas where we're going to spend increasing amount of time at home and you can't go out, you know, to theater and you can't, there's so many things that we can't do. So flowers are one thing that actually provide so much joy right now. I was going to ask you, is, is it joy? What's the emotional connection do you think you get from receiving flowers? It's joy. It's love. I mean, what better way to know that you're loved by someone or that you love someone or that you're thinking of them or that you wish you were with them? There's no really emotional experience you can deliver like flowers can. And it's, it's, you're delivering beauty to someone that you love to lift their spirits during a difficult time. And during this difficult time, I found the joy that I get in sending people flowers is probably exceeds the joy they get in receiving them. Just like, hey, I'm thinking about you. Hey, I wish I were with you. So I think that emotional connection is something we all crave right now more than ever. I mean, you mentioned um, beauty. You've been described as a connoisseur of luxury. I mean, these are all words that seem highly consistent with working with with your old boss Tom Ford i mean to what degree was working with an iconic fashion leader helpful for you in terms of creating your own bo- uh, your own business flower box some some years later um honestly every single thing i learned in my whole life i learned from him um tom was my first job so I literally, my entire career I owe to him, but um, I also was in the really fortunate position. I left Gucci with him as his only employee when he left Gucci and started Tom Ford with him. So I literally saw from a blank sheet of paper an entire global, you know, now worth over a billion dollar brand being built from like he and I going shopping on the King's Road to buy trash cans. I mean, literally that from that early on. So I think as far as learning how to create a brand, learning how to create that brand language, the tone of voice, the consistency and every single detail of every single thing that you do um, and and sort of maintaining that consistency as you scale, all of those things. I learned from Tom, but I think the thing I learned most from him is like how to create desire around a product. Because it's like you have a shoe, but how to make this shoe the thing that you're going to 
actually it's going to make your life better and you're going to get the guy or you're going to have get the job or you're going to that shoe somehow going to like make your life better and i feel like i was going to ask you that i mean i mean obviously he is he's a zeitgeist character there's something about his name which evokes fashion and style and you can see how that must have affected your thinking on the business and you know you look at your website it's it's aesthetically it's lovely to look at it's it's very it's also simple and very pure and you can see I guess your apprenticeship there with with Tom Ford but if you were to try and bottle him up the sort of the to capture the essence of of what what he has brought and what you learned in terms of that kind of appeal that you're talking about. What if you to really try and grab it for us and communicate it to us? How might you describe it? I don't know. It's so intangible, like that magic. And it's funny because when I speak to investors and you know outside people, they're like, "Well, where's your moat? Like, what is it that differentiates? You? Why? What? What is it that protects you from being copied?" And it's that sort of intangible esoteric bit of magic it's brand it's like the strength of a brand that you can't really put your finger on but it's it's the combination of the way people talk about you the way you talk about yourself the sort of it's it's more than i don't know it's not something i think you can articulate or i can't anyway god he's also the most tenacious like tenacious driven focused um hilarious generous but like more than that he works harder than anyone i've ever met in my entire life you know i even now i'll get like i got an email from him the other day and it was three in the morning in la he doesn't sleep (laughs) he's just sort of on this tireless pursuit of beauty and sort of perfection i mean i was i was reading um i was reading a little bit about him and and, um and certainly you know your perspectives of him I mean, I'd, I'd written this down as the Ford Focus at the beginning, but then I thought maybe that, that's that's the wrong car. But I mean, in terms of there, there was something about kindness. I thought in his in in a lot of the things that he talks about in terms of what he what he wanted to achieve. And I I noticed that when when you spoke about you know after twenty years of of actually it's time to go, you described it as like the hardest breakup. He cried and I cried. It literally was. Tell us more. For like tw- for like two weeks afterwards, no, because it's like it was a perfect relationship. It was perfect. It was really great. Um, you know, it made me happy. I felt fulfilled. I grew. I could have kept growing for the next thirty years. I loved my boss. We got along. Um, I was learning. Um, so it's really hard to leave a great situation. I made a great salary. I had a great team. I had a really fancy office with really fancy velvet sofa. If you saw the dump of a warehouse I just came from. Brittany, what were you doing? <laughs> I know. Because I was like, well, it's either I stay in this amazing job and never do anything for myself or I, you know, really jump off a cliff. And I luckily have a great husband who's very supportive of me. And it's like, you know, I got your back. Go for it. Um, so I did. And it was, I've never looked back. And it's, many entrepreneurs, they really do identify with that. There's a great um, Iris Murdoch quote, which she said, jump and a net will appear. I mean, and I, I, I sort of get the sense that so many entrepreneurs identify with that, that at the time of actually, I've left this great job. I've, I had everything. I mean, you know, very few people say I, I, I had, I was working directly with Tom Ford and I left that job. But I mean, a lot of people will identify with that idea of I'm going from having something to potentially having 
having nothing and starting. Now, obviously, he he was an early client of of um, of yours as, as well with with Flowerbots, the, the business, and you very quickly have grown this brand as being very much an it brand that people want to want to buy from. In terms of what you've sought to do in terms of growing that company, tell us a little bit now about Whitney the entrepreneur in terms of actually the business that you've grown. You've sought funding, you've brought in mentors, lots of different things. What what's the what's the takeout you share with us? Um, I don't know. All I can say is that I am constantly selling. I am just like a salesperson. I like watched that movie Joy again recently with Jennifer Lawrence, who's selling that mop. And I feel like every day I'm getting that mop and I'm going to sell that mop and I'm going to sell it and I'm going to sell it. And if I have to get out in the parking lot and show people how the mop works, I will do that because I really believe in what I'm doing so much. So I think anyone who's starting a company needs to be prepared to be like the ultimate salesperson. If I'm at a dinner party, I am selling. If I am at the school gates, I'm selling. I am every single opportunity is an opportunity to sell flowers. But, you know, I was lucky that um, after 20 years working in, in fashion and luxury that everyone I knew, like professionally, was in fashion and luxury. I think my big fear leaving Tom was that all of those relationships were going to disappear because I wasn't next to Tom anymore. And I thought how much of those relationships, how many people like me because of Tom, you know, and that was a really big fear of mine leaving was that so much of my personal identity was shaped by being Tom's right hand. So what was really, really amazing and like still brings tears to my eyes to this day is all of those people were like, we are so right behind you. So quite immediately, the brands and the press and the, you know, all these fashion journalists that I had a 20 years of relationship with, they're like, we're going to write a piece about you. Vogue did a piece. Tatler did a piece. It was like in the first year, the Evening Standard did a full piece. And these were all friends that I had because I I'd worked with them, but they all got right behind me. So that made a, so much of a difference in the early days of getting the word out there. You mentioned the word there, fear. Um, in your lockdown list that accompanies this episode, your, your top tip is to feel the fear and do it anyway. I, I, I get the sense that fear may be a constant traveling companion in, in life. It is for a lot of um, successful people, the fear of failure, not wanting to sort of set back those sorts of things. I mean, tell us a little bit about why you gave that as your as your top tip to listeners. Because I never, back to my amazing career, I didn't feel scared. I got to the point where I wasn't scared. I could do it really well, but I didn't feel that adrenaline rush of like going out of my comfort zone. And now I can successfully say that every single day, if not every hour, I'm out of my comfort zone with something. Um, there was a period during COVID where it was probably too much, I would say. Um, and I have to say the past few months, there have been moments where I'm like, look, I'm fine with all of the normal, like incredible challenges of having your own company and having a team around the world, et cetera. But like this curveballs a lot. Mm. But but I mean, I suppose if, if, if anyone was listening to this and saying, well, look, this is clearly someone, she knows how to deal with the pressure. She knows how to deal with, with, with the setbacks, but but you know, you, you've also um, made the point that you like stability and you like planning um, both at work and at home. Yet your new normal is about an ever-changing, totally unpredictable and unstable foundation. How, how do you find balance in that world? Do you think? Um, I'm not sure I have, to be very honest with you, because there's. I mean, you're building. We just did Q4 targets this morning. You know, in at the office and like. Who, no one, not even the biggest like financial analysts in the world can predict what 
is going to happen in the next four months. So it's really hard to like base cash flow and, you know, plan in any way on a foundation that's constantly moving. I mean, it's like on quicksand. So I can't say I found that balance. I think what I have been able to do and I have to try to, you know, really remain able to do is be really agile, keep the team really agile. You know, we've have as many sort of flexible, like contracted employees as we can in certain roles so that we can shift up and shift down without messing with people's future, which is something I take a big responsibility, you know, feel a big responsibility for. So I think just being really agile. And I think, you know, over the past six months, half of our business historically has been B2B. So it was events and B2B sort of hospitality clients. And we just shifted to 100% B2C um, in a matter of two or three weeks. So I think that flexibility and that agility is going to be key for, for anyone who's going to survive the next year. How did you do that? What were the key things to sh- make that shift from B2B to B2C, do you think? Well, luckily, we already had the B2C structure, but it was just where we focused our efforts. You know, we refocused all of our marketing budget on B2C. We um, sadly had to reduce some events teams and refocus that on warehouse teams. It was just a complete pivot of the business. Mm. I mean, now a lot of us are learning a little bit more about what we're made of when, you know, people are leading companies, people that are in positions of responsibility. What are you learning about yourself during during 2020, do you think? Oh, gosh, what am I not learning? Um, I, I, it's funny because I've always thought I was such a positive person and I normally am so optimistic and so positive, which I think is something that really helps as an entrepreneur if you really feel positive about the future. Um, that's been challenged a lot recently, um, I think, because you're trying to keep a team up and try to be motivational to a team. And then I have three children, you know, who have been homeschooling. Now they're, they were back at school, um, trying to keep them up. It's like you realize you're spending a lot of energy trying to keep everyone else feeling good. And that's exhaustive when you're the optimistic one. Um, so that's been challenged. I think, what have I learned about myself? Uh, I definitely am tenacious and I'm definitely not going to let this go. I think there was a moment where I'm like, this could go either way in March, back to that sort of fateful month for all of us. I was like, what if this just, what if, what if I can't get through this? And I was like, no, no, no. I think it strengthened my resolve in what I'm doing, why this is a solution more than ever, um, why what we're doing is more relevant than it's ever been. And I think it's really reinforced my focus and, um, commitment to what I'm doing. Mm. I mean, a lot of people, they they listen to positive, tenacious people that go out there and make things happen. And they think, I really want to do that. How how do I do that? What, what's the first, you know, if you were to think about your life learnings, the things that have made you who they are, I mean, some people will look at parents, some people will look at circumstances, some people will look at all sorts of different things. But if you were to sort of think about the formula that makes Whitney the person she is today, give us a sense of what those vital ingredients are. Oh gosh, I have uh, I have three brothers and I look, I now have one little girl who has two older brothers and she is so fierce. I think because she has to sort of get her voice in there um, and be heard amongst her two older brothers that she is sort of the fiercest of all of them. So I think having three brothers definitely made me sort of have to fight my way um, to get what I wanted. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think not being probably the best at anything as I was growing up 
was actually probably a blessing because I definitely didn't peak in high school. I sort of look at those people that were the prettiest in high school or the smartest in high school or the best in high school. I definitely wasn't any of those. So I was still trying. I mean, I've been still trying to prove myself. I think I'm more of a slow burn. The slow burn. And do you, do you sort of sense that there is a, a US Whitney and a, and a British Whitney? I mean, I mean, are there, are there different? Cause I mean, obviously you've got the, you've got both cultures to, to draw from. I'm interested in terms of the, the perspectives that that, that that gives you. Yes, I think, well, seeing my children who are very British and they're at British school and my husband's British, I, sometimes I feel them, you know, I hear them apologizing and I'm like, why are you apologizing? Absolutely not. Be confident with that. So I think I'm definitely not as apologetic as British people are. Um, and I'm definitely more sort of ebullient. Um, I think at work, you know, I'm not like, we have a great sales day. I'm like, yes, everyone, hurrah, we smashed our target. So I think that... Um, <laughs> sort of American excitement is something that I was born with. You know, I'm from Texas where everything's sort of bigger and better. Um, well, was. Uh, and so I think I bring that American enthusiasm to everything I do. Does that enthusiasm also, is that also about, I mean, to what degree about this, like the face-to-face contact? To what degree does that define who you are? I mean, I'm wondering the kind of the digital world versus the real world for you, because I mean, obviously as a natural seller, um, in life, I, I would imagine there is a certain amount of energy that comes from human interaction on a face-to-face level. It is, which is why I still, I've like, even though I've half the team's working remotely now, I still go in the office every day. I just got back now um, because I just want to see my team. I love them. They work so hard. I want to see, I mean, there's something really visceral about seeing 2000 hydrangea leaving the warehouse this morning that you can only understand if you see them there's some magic of being there and obviously being with the team and seeing um seeing the team is something i miss a lot but i'm also really encouraged that every day there's someone new from the team that's in there so even though everyone's allowed to work remotely right now other than the the warehouse team they all still come in because i think they crave the same thing Mm. i mean i suppose just the last last question i mean you you mentioned that the Hyde Rangers. I mean, a lot of people are talking about this as a bit of a reset moment in the world where actually a love and appreciation um, of the natural world, of nature. Um, do you buy into that, that actually there there might be something that we're learning that's different about ourselves that might be um, more, more naturally oriented dur- during this experience? Oh, I hope so. I really hope so. I think that well, I'm definitely more focused on products now that improve the quality of my life. And that's not like a new handbag or another pair of shoes. Um, it's something that makes my life more beautiful. It makes, you know, whether it's investing in food that's more expensive, maybe than, you know, the normal weight row shop or something that makes you really feel special. And like you're, you bought it consciously it wasn't wrapped in packaging it came from a like sustainable source like or this bunch of flowers that's going to just provide beauty and joy natural beauty and joy for you know the, the coming week i think the joys we're getting are more simple and more natural um and sort of more authentic in a way or for me anyway Whitney, thank you very much. And I think that's something a lot of people would, would, would identify. And, and my thanks there to this great change maker, Whitney Bromberg-Hawkins, and today's story of flower power mm-hmm. and how it can bring the spirit of renewal to the world. And her top tip of feel the fear and do it speaks to the courage to go for it and the inspiration for business to bloom. Join me next time for Changemakers. Changemakers.